0: Victory Studios in downtown Little Rock. This is Capitol View. Hello everybody and good Sunday morning. Certainly hope your Sunday is getting you off to a great start. Welcome to Capitol View. I'm Bob Clausen. Right out of the gate, want to check in with our Washington correspondent, Jesse Tenor, find out what's been going on in the nation's capital that directly affects us here in the capital city as well as the entire state of Arkansas. Jess, how are you?
1: Hey, Bob, doing well. Thanks for having
0: me back. All right, well, busy week as usual, although it seems not as busy as it's been in the past, which which is a good thing. Um, we'll touch on some things um, right. that, that came up this week in just a minute. But first, want to uh, get something on that, that's been really talked about quite a bit, and that is to do with autism in children. Uh, in recent years, uh, in past years, it's been concerned that vaccinations uh, related to autism. However, some physicians saying studies actually show that uh, there are more occurrences or diagnosis of autism uh, kids in the autism spectrum because um, physicians can now better diagnose it. Uh, and there are some things that are, that are in play right now about the Autism Cares Act that's uh, being uh, run through Congress up there. Tell us about that and, and what's developed this week.
1: Yeah, Bob, so even 20, 30 years ago, autism was considered a rare disease. And as far as that goes, that means doctors were saying about one in 10,000 kids were diagnosed with some sort of autism spectrum disorder. Now, because they're able to diagnose it, like you said, they're, they're not calling it a common disorder. They now say one in 60 children have, su- have ASD. And people are pointing mostly to the Autism Cares Act for providing this research, allowing doctors to make these diagnoses. So it was first implemented back in 2000 and it essentially just coordinates and expands efforts that were already happening at the federal level to fund research and make sure that these doctors have better training from urban to rural areas. And what's happening right now is that this funding expires at the end of the month and Congress still isn't back. They've been on recess and they get back next week. And so, Almost every attorney general in the country sent a letter urging Congress to pass it once they are back because of this approaching deadline, and they know that the, of the effect that it's been able to have on um, children and adults across the country. And so they've been saying that Congress can't wait, they can't let this expire um, because of all the innovations that have been able to come from this. And they said that even though we have been able to even make it from a, a rare to a common disease, at least consider it that. In the past several decades, there's still a long way to go as far as treatment in rural areas. That's one of the main things, and then also making sure that when these kids turn into adults, that there's education opportunities for them, job opportunities for them, and also housing. I think that that's something that maybe um, a lot of people wouldn't think about.
0: Yeah, and I uh, want to put up. We just saw briefly put up a response from uh, Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge. As you mentioned, many attorney generals sending this in, saying more research and services are necessary to address the needs of our rapidly increasing population of Americans on the autism spectrum. Um, Congress coming back, uh, what's the talk up there? I mean, are they going to act quickly on this? Is Is there any sort of delay, any concern?
1: And talking about money, you kind of never know uh, what's going to happen. But this is something that does have broad bipartisan support and a lot of policy groups that are watching this very closely are are optimistic that this will pass. It's just kind of one of those things that Congress gets back. There's a lot on their plate, a lot that they have to do, a lot of big issues that they're going to have to try to tackle right away, that they have pressure on to tackle right away. Guns, health care, just to name a couple. And so they're just hoping that they prioritize this and get this done so people aren't left hanging.
0: Uh, Still on topic of uh, vaccinations, talking about measles this time. And this is interesting too, because for a long time, measles has more or less been eradicated in the United States and eliminated measles, basically. The CDC saying the country is now just basically weeks away from losing that status because of all these outbreaks that we've been reporting on, almost like clusters of measles outbreaks from one part of the state or one part of the country. Uh, another thing that the Congress have to do is kind of get behind this, but also the call going out to make sure parents are vaccinating their children. Is that that big of an issue up there?
1: Yeah, that continues to be a big issue among a lot of health experts here in Washington. I know that, like you mentioned, the CDC, um, the National Institutes of Health is looking very closely at this as well. They are all kind of honing in on these weeks after Labor Day because that's when every student across the country is back at school. And so they said that the first outbreak, it really kind of began in September of last year. Um, It continued to increase and then kind of uh, plateaued over the summer, and they were saying that's because kids aren't around a bunch of other kids because of summer break. And so they were saying that in these next couple weeks, with all of them being back to school, all of them being in those classrooms together, tight knit, um, that there really is a chance that we could see um, us lose the United States you lose the elimination status. And I think just last week, there was four European countries that lost it because of outbreaks. And so it is something that's continuing to happen. I know that in Congress, the anti-vaccination debate has been very heated even just as of this year. Um, Earlier this year, what was kind of interesting is there was a teenager who testified in front of Congress. Um, His parents were uh, anti-vaccination advocates, but he said once he um, kind of learned more about it that he actually went and got all of the vaccinations that he had missed out on himself uh, because he thought that the evidence pointed more toward that way. And so this will definitely be something we continue to see, and we could even see developments on this within the next week or so.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things, education, 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 when it comes to uh, anything health-related, when it concerns vaccines and, of course, your kids. Uh, The opioid addiction, something that has been uh, raging, of course, here in Arkansas and across the country, and a lot of efforts underway to try to curb that, bring it down, a lot of things in play here. uh, but then we think about the HIV epidemic in the state, HIV and AIDS. Kind of, it seems that for the most part, I think there's kind of a um, a feeling out there that there's been a handle on this and it's taken care of. But this is still something, a, a war, a health, you know, front that's still being fought vigorously. And uh, President Trump now taking action on the uh, HIV, uh, the HIV front. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Bob, President Trump earlier this year in his uh, State of the Union address, he said he announced his plan to essentially eliminate HIV by 2030. And as part of his plan, it outlined counties across the country and also seven states where there was kind of the most risk in rural areas. And Arkansas was actually one of them um, for being at risk for HIV. And um, I don't know if many people think about these two epidemics of HIV and the opioid crisis going hand in hand, but experts here have been saying how how can they not? As soon as you start talking about people using needles, then, you know, is part of the opioid crisis, then we have to talk about potential HIV outbreaks. And so um, the CDC has identified 220 countries, uh, 220 um, counties across the country, and there's two in Arkansas, Sharp and Lawrence counties, where we could see some sort of HIV outbreak because of the way that the opioid crisis has been kind of manifesting there. And so that'll be something else to monitor too in Arkansas.
0: It is interesting that you point out the two, uh, you basically one leads to the other or vice versa with with that type of thing. So it's got to be something that's a a two-front war being waged on that. Um, A war that we all deal with, Jesse, of these robocalls that we constantly get. uh, It's one of those things too. They get you right exactly when you don't want them. Early in the morning, late at night, the middle of the afternoon, uh, you tend to pick them up. You find out this is something that you don't want to hear. Where are we hearing on some legislation that's being put in place to try to get these things to stop or at least get some other corporations involved where we're not getting these robocalls anymore?
1: Yeah, Bob, so this is where we see attorneys general kind of step up again. So unlike the Autism Cares Act, where they can't do anything to make sure that the funding is in place, except for to urge Congress, attorneys general, every attorney general in the country signed on to this saying, Congress cannot get these, this legislation passed right now, it's stalled, so why don't we forge agreements with these phone companies? And that's exactly what they did. Every attorney general in the country was able to come to agreement with about 12 phone companies, a dozen phone companies, on these eight policies that essentially say, let's crack down on robocalls, let's make it easier for attorneys general to prosecute them, and let's also make it so that phone companies can track them at no cost to their customers. And so we could See some movement on that pretty soon. They were wanting to get this in place kind of as soon as possible because robocalls are the calls that these attorneys general's offices also get the most calls about.
0: Just a busy week. No doubt, uh, you know, you've got another week till Congress gets back in and then uh, things are going to hit the ground running. I noticed the weather behind you. Is that uh, portions of <laughs> Hurricane Dorian?
1: Maybe a little bit. Right now it's a screen. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> so we'll say that. What looked like a little active That's a little bit.
1: TV magic for all that's of you. What,
0: that's what it is. All right, Jess, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Have a, have a great busy week. Update us when you can. <laughs> well, coming up after a quick break, Walmart changes their gun policy and lawmakers weighing in the national gun debate. You're watching Capitol View on this Sunday morning. Sunday morning talk focused on the political scene in Arkansas. This week, major retailers changed their gun carry and ammo policies. How to try to fight mass shootings. Still a top discussion though, across the nation. Here to talk about this and more, State Senator Joyce Elliott and State Senator Bob Ballinger, thank you very much for joining us. You guys want to talk about Walmart's decision this week to limit gun and ammo sales. More companies changing their gun policies. Walgreens, Wegmans, Food Markets, CVS asking customers to now no longer carry firearms in their stores. Earlier this week, both Walmart and Kroger said they would be asking shoppers to Stop openly carrying firearms in stores across the country. And uh, Bob, real quick, you sent out a tweet uh, rather pointed saying this week if we are to succeed in advancing the cause of freedom and free markets, the business must stand shoulder to shoulder with those fighting for liberty. The left wing ideology will, who oppose uh, gun rights are the same ones who seek to tax and regulate Walmart out of existence. I would say you disagree with that decision.
2: I would say that I disagree with that decision. Um, although I, I do, I would say that I support their, their private organization. They have the right to make that choice. Um, but I would say it's a, it's a bad choice. Um, essentially, what they, what they're going to do, is they're going to make it m- more inconvenient for, for good guys, for my constituents, who are out there looking for, uh, for ammunition. And, uh, and, you know, make it a little harder, especially in rural Arkansas, where a lot of times Walmart is pretty much the only choice for going and buying ammunition. And yet the the bad guys are gonna be able to go and find find guns. And, and you know, mass shootings very are, are a problem, right? I mean, it's very clearly, we, we have, you know, more than 20 people were killed on one weekend, a couple of weekends ago, which is never acceptable. But uh, but the truth is that's not I mean that's not how most of the crime is is occurring that's not how most of the murders are happening and so it's not I mean it it isn't going to change things when people can go fire buy ammunition in other locations and in particular what you're talking about is taking away ammunitions that are that are for probably the most uh, popular rifle. In the, uh, in the country, which are used for things like killing hogs and killing varmints and other things like that. That's how most of my constituents use that ammunition or just for going out and, and,
0: and sport shooting. Your response to Walmart's decision and others?
3: Well, I I was very uh, pleased with Walmart making this decision because it is the case, I think, that we have to balance what we're talking about with the Second Amendment. And to suggest that I think that this is a bad decision uh, means that we think we can't get this ammo anyplace else. And actually we can. And I've always uh, criticized Walmart for going into small towns and ruining small town Arkansas. Here's an opportunity for somebody else to take up that mantle and grow a small business. Uh, it is not in the interest of anybody, I think, for us not to be serious about doing something about gun violence, no matter what those guns are used for. The one thing we know is that they are, the, the, those guns and the ammo are the favorite kind of uh, uh, gun people like to use when they are going to create a massacre. And I think we can be thoughtful about this and we don't have to be upset with each other. And we can reckon, I think, that people's lives, in some cases, mean more than my right to have something that I want. And to me, this is clear cut. And I, I applaud Walmart for making this decision. I think it's a, it's a good one. It's a good one on balance. And that's where we ought to be when we start talking about uh, amendment two.
0: When, when we talk about balance and, and you guys are both on, uh, well, op- opposing sides from mm-hmm. time to time, but uh, you know, you're, you're both on some uh, legislation together. We are. Where, where Where is the come together on this issue of you know, when people talk about the assault style weapons ban or uh, mm-hmm. large capacity uh, magazines, things like that, where is the come together on this? Because there seems to be so much distance, not only in the federal but the state level.
3: I think the come together is something we've never done before. We just talk a pe- past each other. There needs to be a time where people actually do what Beto O'Rourke did when he was here, no matter what his policies are. He went and talked to people who were on the other side of his philosophy in this, whole, in this whole thing. I think that's something we need to do because the people who have a different position from what I have are not bad people. I'm not bad because I have a different position, but we don't ever get together and say, all of us appreciate the Second Amendment. And to say, to say we don't, I think it's just wrong. But the Second Amendment is no more pure than any other amendment. So we have to find that place where both sides can get away from their purity test. And we have never bothered to do that. And Bob, you know you and I can get past purity.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and we have on, on legislation. Yes. I think that, yes. I think you look at the legislation that we've worked together on though, what ends up happening is we look at what the what the goal is, mm-hmm. and then we get, come together on the goal. And I think that's something you have, have with uh a fundamental disagreement that you have when it comes to firearms legislation is you know i i would love to see mass shootings stopped right i i think that they're i think that it, you know it's a it's a it's a sad situation that it is that it seems to be more common even if that's a lot, has a lot to do with media mm-hmm. and availability of information or whatever else i mean i it is it, it doesn't matter those 20 people are are dead and so I'd like to see that stop. So the, the goal that, that Joyce and I, Senator Elliott and I would have 100% agreement on would be um, to try to make it where those people aren't dead, those, those kids, children, those women, those men, aren't, uh, you know, those brothers, sisters, moms aren't, aren't gone. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the means to get to the end. So that's where we end up getting on the opposite side. One is I think that you have a fundamental, a, a natural right to protect yourself with firearms. And so that is something that isn't easy to compromise. The other thing is, I think that actually it would have zero impact on, if you, if you focus on the guns and attacking the guns and banning the guns and limiting guns, limiting the sell of the guns, I think that, one, is you're in violation of the Constitution, but two, I don't think you're actually fixing the problem because I think truly the bad guys out there are not going to follow the law. But this is where we so are, Bob. The problem is, we, we're, is, we are not
3: trying to fix the problem. We're just talking about it because it takes collaboration. I mean, not compromise. <coughs> collaboration where we sit down, honor each other's thoughts, and recognize that we can find a way out of this. And it seems for a lot of people, especially NRA, it's something to use as a wedge issue. And it pulls people apart. And I, and I think we have to rise above that. And if we're gonna be, especially as legislators, this, we have an obligation to do that. And not just walking past each other. I mean,
2: the NRA is just a, just a group of citizens who care a lot about their fundamental, constitutional, and rights. And That's everybody else are. does
3: too now. Yes.
2: Sure, and so, but that's the thing. Is that's why. So, I, I, the best analogy I can think of is that if somebody has a a a, a terrible infection, and, and so they have a fever, well, so if you take Tylenol. Then you can you can suppress the fever, but the terrible infection is not being taken care of, and I think that's sort of what what's happening is that the problem is not the guns. The problem is are the are the individuals who who think that it's okay to go out and kill it's people. I mean, truly the, the worst mass slaughter that ever happened in in American history was done with explosives in a school, and so I mean the the truth is it's not the problem is not the firearm. The problem is you know why is it that our society are creating individuals Individuals that thinks it's okay to go out, that, that has lost that that innate, natural um, idea that says, I can't go out and kill my fellow man, right? So to me, what we're doing is we're, we're looking at, uh, it's almost like a scapegoat. We're setting something up to attack it rather than actually getting to the the meat of the, of the problem. And so I think the debate about guns can actually be detrimental to really fixing the problem, which is, why in our society are we, we have individuals that that when they have a problem, they think it's okay to go out and kill as many people as they can. In essence, it's Mm -hmm. it's
0: not the hardware as much as the software we need to be focusing on, Mm -hmm. i.e. mental health, things of that nature. Guys, I want to thank you very much for your time. As always, a pleasure. You're welcome. (laughs) We're back right after this. You're watching Capitol View. Sunday morning talk focused on the political scene
1: in Arkansas.
0: Last month, California passed a new law changing the legal standard for when law enforcement officers can use lethal force. Civil rights groups say that that should be a national standard, but Washington correspondent Alexander Lamone reports the National Sheriff's Association worries the move will put officers and communities at risk.
2: In a split second, an officer is going to have to make the
0: decision.
4: Jonathan Thompson, the executive director of the National Sheriffs Association, says it can cost lives when law enforcement spends time second-guessing a decision.
2: Do I pull my gun and do I pull the trigger and protect those behind me, or do I let it sit and, and potentially let those behind me die? That's it's that fast.
4: California's new law changes the legal standard for using lethal force from one reasonable. To when necessary. Now there's talk that California's law could spark changes nationwide.
0: It's very hopeful that this will lead a, a domino effect across the country. Obviously, it's incredibly hard. This was the byproduct of at least several years worth of work.
4: Complete national data on police use of force isn't easy to find. The FBI didn't start tracking police shootings until this year. And even now, law enforcement agencies aren't required to submit their DATA, BUT THE WASHINGTON POST DOCUMENTED NEARLY 1,000 DEADLY POLICE SHOOTINGS IN 2018, AND MORE THAN 600 SO FAR THIS YEAR. JUSTIN MAZZOLA WITH AMNESTY INTERNATIONAL SAYS OFFICERS SHOULD STOP TO THINK before pulling the trigger, and says shootings like the Stefan Clark case in Sacramento that sparked California's new law disproportionately affect communities of color.
0: I hope that there aren't 50 similar cases or 49 similar cases uh, across the country to make each state have to do this.
4: In Washington, Alexandra Limon.
0: The trade world of China appears to be taking its toll on the hiring market. U.S. employers added 130,000 jobs in August, 25,000 of them temporary census workers. Economists call the 130,000 total, while it seems large, they call it modest. Finding the president's trade war with China and global economic weakness may be to blame for a hiring slowdown. The unemployment rate remains 3.7% near the lowest level in five decades. Wrapping up with good news there on the employment front. A workshop aimed at helping kids find real job opportunities is getting an upgrade. Be Pro, Be Proud 2.0 gives students hands-on experience in construction, manufacturing, and transportation careers. It's an upgrade from workshop that started in 2016. This one features 13 highly interactive stations, even uses virtual reality systems. Not everybody is going to go to college. Not everybody is going to get a four-year degree, and they need to see options that they can have and that has meaning and dignity and honor and that they can provide for a family. The original mobile workshop has made stops in 250 cities across the state. We are back to wrap things up right after this. You're watching Capitol View on this Sunday morning. You're watching Capitol View, Sunday morning talk focused on the political scene in
2: Arkansas.
0: That is it for today's show. And don't forget, you can now take Capitol View on the go. Download the Capitol View podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with an all new Capitol View next week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, everybody.